So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast where we teach you how to grow your photography business if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog posts check out sixfigurephotography.com now here's your host ben hartley Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Hartley. I'll be your host today. Uh, look, before we jump in, we got an interview with Bob Coates. It's going to be pretty interesting. Before we jump in, I want to explain to you guys briefly the point of this podcast. The The main goal of Six Figure Photography is to help uh, to show you how to make an abundant business. When I, when I talk about abundance, I'm talking about uh, abundance and joy and meaning and, yes, in profits. And abundance is found in, in understanding your own self-worth and providing value to every single person that you encounter. The SFP podcast, we've got the opportunity to bring in um, guests and interviews from people um, that are certainly in the industry, but as well outside of the industry. Well, today's guest, Bob Coates, he's been in the industry for a little while. Uh, He started out in 1995 uh, in the Caribbean before moving to Arizona. Um, Bob is a Lumix luminary. He's an active member of PPA, uh, speaks at uh, Imaging. Uh, USA. And uh, and we're going to get into some really interesting topics today. We're going to talk about the importance of education within uh, the professional photography world, uh, formal schooling. We're going to talk about actually how he believes that improving your vocabulary will actually improve the results of your work. He's a big Micro Four Thirds user, and so discussing using that in professional practices. And then as well, um, kind of this idea of personal projects with just uh, a nice little dash of hustle involved. So without further ado, we're going to jump in and talk to Bob. Welcome, Bob. Happy Tuesday morning. What time is it in your neck of the woods? Uh, 7.09. I love how detail-oriented you are, my man. Uh, That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us this early. So we have a few things to talk about. We're going to be talking about technology, how it affects our business, things that we can be investing in uh, to improve uh, our work and our our companies. But but as, as you guys are out there listening right now, uh, you are listening to the podcast to learn. You're, you're listening to try to take some information um, and gain from it. And Bob, you're working on something right now about this very subject. Uh, so you're writing, you're writing an article, right? Uh, actually, I'm writing a, a paper, which is way beyond an article. It's, <laughs> it's got to be got to be footnoted and um, other people, you know, backing you up through the material that you research and stuff. It's basically a research paper. Nice. And um, I, I have come across a concept that I think is way underlooked in photography, and it's that if you have a deeper and stronger vocabulary, you can make better images. Very interesting. Okay, so this is entirely what your paper's on. Is, is vocabulary tied to better imagery? And to learning. In other words... When when we first start out as photographers, we you know we learn the triumvirate of you know aperture, shutter speed, ISO. That gives us a good exposure. So those are some of that's some of the vocabulary or the lexicon of photography. But I I think it's much deeper than that. As we get um, further into it, when we learn a lot more things like uh, words for light, um, I I. I suggest that um, we learn as many words for light and shadow as Eskimos have for snow. Because if we have a deeper vocabulary, if we understand more, 
then our brains can visualize and see more. And if you can visualize more, then you can, you know, start to work your project before you even pick up your camera. Yeah, very interesting. So then, um, you know, what what are some of the points then that you're approaching in, in this in this paper in regards to I mean, it feels like that is something that um, happens at like an early age. I mean, what are some ways that we can even like develop that now or 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 that you would argue? Um, reading is number one. Um, you know, if you I have a book in front of me with photography or magazine articles or online I am constantly reading, and reading is probably the number one way to increase your vocabulary, because as you see words in context, it kind of helps um, cement them into your head. Um, as as you work, and, and the vocabulary is not just the the photography stuff. What we need to do is is reach out to other visual arts um, like painters. Um, learning color palettes and what's a tertiary color versus a complementary color versus a, um, you know, how, do, how does color move your eye through an image? How does contrast move your eye through an image? Um, all of these things tie together. And if we don't have words for them, then it's hard for us to visualize them. And I think, you know, as we learn as photographers, we can come across them and learn and, and kind of pick them up as we go along, which is why we get to be better photographers as we go along. And I'm saying that we can accelerate that. And I'm finding that my photography, or I think my photography um, skills are accelerating because I'm really researching this deep. Interesting. So this ties closely to a subject that I, I often talk about whenever I'm uh, when I'm teaching photographers in, in like a hands-on kind of way. And that's the, the idea of pre-visualizing a shot before actually going out to create it um are we on the same kind of track here in regards to almost like um being able to communicate the pre-visualization that you see absolutely um if you don't know the word for specular highlight how can you think about it if you don't know if you don't understand soft shadow edge transitions or the words for all of our different tools like you know the way our umbrellas work is you know shoot through umbrellas and soft boxes and if we don't know about our tools and, and how they can um, translate the light in the scene, then we just, you know, it, it just takes us longer to get where we, where we would like to go. Sure. And so maybe even let me rewind. If you're listening and you're, you got kind of caught up there for a second when I said pre-visualize, um, what I mean by that, by the way, this is especially important when using off-camera flash. I mean, really, it's important at all times. It's anticipation on a wedding day or documentary photography, street photography. Um, but I think uh, the best way maybe for me to explain it is with, with off-camera flash because you don't get to see it before you actually end up taking the picture. You know, the light's out and you shut shoot the shutter and the light goes off and so it's having an idea of what you want the shot to look like before you even take a single click before the light is set up you have a goal in mind that you can see uh, in your mind's eye and then you're actually going out to make that happen and this is so critical with with OCF because you're balancing two different exposures you're balancing your ambient light uh, with with your flashlight um, a flashlight that sounds funny anyway, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean uh, so that that would be visualization so let me push back here for a minute Bob because um, my question is this there's been a lot of times in my career there's been a lot of times in my photography uh, or even out my goodness outside of photography where I look at something and I go you know what I don't know what that is but I like it <laughs> you know and you move in that direction and so I don't I don't think that vocabulary had anything really to to do with that um, what would you say to that? I would say that you're, if you had a, what's the way, what's the way I want to put this? There's nothing wrong with what you just said and, and, and approaching things in that way. What I'm saying is that photographers have a tendency to kind of stumble through things. And yeah, that looks good. And I don't know why it looks good. If you had a vocabulary, you probably would have a better idea of why it looks good. You if you had a deep, go ahead. No, if you ha if you had a deeper understanding of, you know, color theory and um, you know more words for light and shadow, you would be able to explain it to yourself. Hey, I like that because X X X. Yeah, 
And so this almost feels like it's it's even a conversation too about almost the direction that the industry is going. Do you feel like this is something that is more on your mind because of the low barrier to entry to photography? You know, all I mean is it's so easy to just pick up a camera to not know anything about the the terms, um, the the definitions, the things that are going on, uh, the interplay of light, shadow, all this kind of stuff. Chiaroscuro, you know, you could just ramble off random keywords as much as we want, but um, so is it, is it about that? Is it about the low barrier to entry and how kind of everyone is a photographer? That's, that's part of it. And trying to help those people who just pick up a camera and grab a website and call themselves a professional, how they can accelerate and create better imagery. I, I think that, you know, there's so much mediocre imagery coming out and I've actually been pushing in a whole nother direction of, of turning my, my work into more art like or painterly pieces in my in my own personal work which where it's which is where some of this started out from as far as, you know, the and then once I started learning more about, you know, underpainting in art and learning, you know, more deepening the vocab yeah, I know a lot of words. Um deepening <laughs> deepening the vocabulary. Then I was able to, I think, create images with more depth and dimension, which, I, which, again, is what we're trying to do as photographers. We're trying to take a 3D space, put it into a 2D space, but make it look 3D. Yeah, very interesting. So this is kind of exciting to me because little did you know, Bob, I was a, a, a oil painting major in college. I was a fine artist in college. I got my BFA. And I'm currently right now, actually, I'm working on an oil painting uh, at home. And so I'm, I'm in the underpainting stage as it is. And I've applied so much of this to the work that we do at Style and Story Creative. Even actually, we've developed a set of presets that we use at the studio. And the presets are all based off of, of kind of paint theory in regards to building up uh, building up a series of layers. Uh, and so you've got like a base coat and you've got a top coat and you know that, that you would take along the painting process. And so I just find the parallels really kind of fascinating. And, and I will say that it has 100% made me both actually a better photographer, but also equally as much a better painter. The more that I've uh, developed my, my understanding of photography, even on the most technical side of things, not just the um, the way that light and shadow play and, and color theory and all that, but just even the technical aspect, the better my oil painting has become. Um, so it's just kind of fun. So do, do you do do you do any other um, fine art apart from photography? Uh, no, but I like I say, I'm taking my <clears throat> my imagery and basically using Photoshop um, and textures and layers to to create the work that I'm doing. Very interesting. Okay, and so it's I'm almost you almost have to oh. almost have to go see it in order for you know for it to go. Oh, okay, I get it. Sure. We will make sure that we get um, some imagery of yours uh, down in the show notes. And I want to come back to this conversation about Photoshop and like Coral Painter and and doing kind of painterly effects in post in a minute. But I want to kind of stay on this topic of education for a moment um, because it also. Um, let me even kind of be clear here, or rather ask for some clarification. This is coming from a place, uh, this is a question by the way, is this coming from a place <laughs> of wanting to better um, uh, kind of young budding photographers who are just picking up their camera um, and saying they're photographer, or is this coming from a, a place of critique uh, and analysis? What's kind of the angle that you have? Yes. <laughs> unpack that more from the uh yeah uh yeah definitely to you know the budding photographers but also the old farts too you know we can tend to get kind of uh, you know i've seen this a lot that you know there's a lot of new technology a lot of new possibilities um we can touch every pixel in an image now with great care attention and detail that we never had that um, ability before we, I mean, we had dodging and burning and we could, you know, underexpose and overdevelop and, you know, we could push and pull things. But now we have the ability to touch every single pixel exactly the way we want it. And, and I feel that we can take our imagery to a whole new level. Um, I've always been on the education side because I learn so much when I teach. 
Yeah, I can 100% attest to that. I've learned more in the last you know few years of teaching than I ever have uh, through the process of learning. <laughs> um, so I completely agree. So so it is to help um, to, I think maybe a good middle ground would be like just to push, to push the industry, to push back, to push people, to push them towards bettering uh, and to see how they react to that pushing. Is that accurate? Yes. Awesome. Absolutely. So then how important do you feel is, and I get this question all the time, um, how important is actually formal photography education towards the success of your business to actually go go to school and get a degree in in photography? Um, did you do that personally? Let me ask you that. No, I went to the school of hard knocks, like most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I found, um, well, let me put it to you this way. I, when I was in Sedona, when I got here, after a while, I was asked to teach a class at college. And I said, well, sure, let's talk about it. And then they said, well, what, what, what degree do you have? And I was like, well, I don't have a degree from a college. I've been, you know, a professional for, you know, over 20 years or whatever it was at the time. And they said, oh, oh, well, then um, you're not going to be able to teach here then because, you know, you have to be uh, college educated in order to teach at a college. And by their definition basically Ansel Adams wouldn't be able to teach the course at their college. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So um and then what what ended up happening was my assistant who didn't know near as much about photography as I did, but who had a degree, ended up teaching that class. <laughs> so that's a little microcosm of how I feel about, you know, not that college education is bad, but that maybe the best teachers aren't uh, being tapped in order to do that. Yeah, I mean, we could turn this whole podcast episode into a critique of the education system right now, Mm-mm. which I would be glad to do. Don't don't um, want to go there. And I, 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 I don't want to go there. Relate. I was just answering uh, your question. So, what were you going to say, Bob? I, I don't want to go there, but I was just answering your question. Oh, of course, of course. Oh, I know, I know. And, and there's no formal stance that we're not going to have. <laughs> Bob hates education. No, that's not what you said at all. No, but I, I 100% agree because especially within in university level, so um, but prior to being a photographer, I actually did a um, a, a big um, a live video post about uh, a great mentor of mine who really taught me what it looked like to be a boss. And, and uh, I used to work at a design studio, um, a media house called called Madhouse, actually. And, um, and the owner there was, oh my goodness, just like you, had been in the industry completely... Um, making the most amazing work, you know, that's, that's relevant, that's current on the current, uh, you know, even with creative or, um, the, the creative suite, uh, with, with Adobe, how it updates now, like every other week was using all the current software university reached out just like you, uh, found out he didn't have a degree in that particular thing. Uh, or actually he didn't even have, it was, he didn't have an education degree. He had a college degree, but it wasn't in education. And so he wasn't allowed to come in. And it was just such, it's such BS. And so <coughs> I, I, I agree. I think that there's probably, um, I think there's better ways to learn. Actually, I know there's better ways to learn. Um, hands down, there are better ways. And, and, and not just reading books or listening, but actually um, hands, hands-on experiential um, ways. And so, okay, so let's hop back here. Let's hop back. To, and you were talking about, um, editing. You were talking about doing more painterly effects in post and that kind of stuff. Um, so is there any software that you are messing around with that is uh, maybe a little bit different or experi- uh, experimental um, that you think uh, other photographers should know about? Or are you just sticking with the, you know, the, the good old classic Adobe suite? Uh, well, my, my major is the Adobe suite, obviously. Sure. Um, but there are, you know, there are, t- you know, you don't buy software. Uh, well, the reason you would buy software is because you do something repetitively, and you can have software that'll make it happen faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you can do everything in Photoshop because all those plugins are tapping into the Photoshop stuff. It's just that you would have to do, you know, sometimes eighty-four steps to get the effect that you can push a button on. Sure. So things like, um, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Nick's software. I was really sorry when, when they got um, bought up by Google the, that there's no longer going to be a, uh, you know, some the advancements in keeping them up to date. Mm-hmm. You know, Google did make them for free. So if anybody wants any of the Nick filters, the Nick suite is, is available for free. And it's an incredible, incredible um, tool. Um, the uh, Color Effects Pro uh, 4 
And the Silver Effects Pro 2 are absolutely excellent, uh, wonderful uh, programs uh, or plugins in order to help you move your images in certain directions. They're, the tools in there are just absolutely fabulous. So I, I'm um, actually not super familiar with Nix. And so just as, as we're putting this plug out there, if it's free um, and you guys are struggling to figure out you know, how to afford Photoshop and that kind of stuff, if you're just beginning, this may be a great option. Do you feel like is it is it accomplishing a lot of the same stuff that Photoshop allows photographers to do? Um, yes, and it helps us in a in a WYSIWYG way. You know, it it has you know pre presets in there so that you you know what you see is what you get. So, for example, in the Silver Effects Pro, you have the opportunity to uh, go through and look at it and say, what would this look like if this was push processed or what would happen if it was you know structured deeper and had more detail or you know the contrast was changed and you can kind of just run through then once you've hit a preset then you have all the controls on the other side to tweak and dial in your highlights your shadows how much sharpness is going to be in this area or that area um, how much sharpness is going to be in the you know the fine detail or in the big detail that kind of thing yeah, very cool. Okay, cool. We'll check that out. We'll make sure to drop a link in there for you guys. So, so as we're talking about, um, well, and then you know, then there's there's the next one that I've been working with, which I know is now you know going to be supported, but it's only for Mac users. It's uh, from Mac Fun. Um, it's called Aurora HDR. is a really nice one, and then Aurora, or not Aurora, but the Mac Fun um, Creative Kit has a lot of the same type of tools available. And these are relatively inexpensive, um, you know, soft pieces of software to help move you again in that direction. You know, when you, um, I've gotten much more natural HDR type images using the Aurora software. Nice. Because I've never been a fan of using, I, I matter of fact, I was, I kind of taught HDR before the word HDR existed and I sure wish I had coined that phrase <laughs> and made some money. But basically, I did a uh, a uh, DVD software from Photoshop and showing people how to do like real estate images with the you know exterior being visible as well as the interior and doing that by you know layers and masks and stuff. So basically, doing HDR by hand. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like what happened when HDR first came out, where you kept getting all the big glows around the outside. Yeah, um, and exactly you know the tran the transition areas was really like, yeah. So you know with with the Aurora software from McFun, um, they have now kind of found ways to make it look a lot more natural. I mean, you can still go wild and go absolutely ape ape with the uh, colors and you know the amount of sharpness and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, it's uh, they've they've done a really nice job of of now making those transitions much better. Yeah. So, okay, you were addressing the fact that, you know, back with film, there was only so much that you could do. And now there's kind of, you know, pixel to pixel, you know, we can push every little part of a frame in, in any <coughs> number of ways. And this could take us down the conversation of, of gear and technology and the way things keep improving and what's next. Maybe we'll go there. But my question to you is... Um, how far is too far in, in post-processing? And is there a limit? You know, at what point do we just kind of start to take away uh, from an image um, and from the, maybe, maybe more importantly, the definition would be taking away from the moment um, rather than adding to it? What's your opinion on that? Um, I, when I first, I'll, I'll start way back. When I first got my camera, I was never going to put a filter on the front of that camera because that would be cheating. <laughs> and then I learned more about photography and realized that the camera only has one eye or one pupil, as you will, that doesn't change and it can only see in one way. And we need to push and pull, add light, subtract light, and, you know, whether that took a, you know, neutral density filter or split field neutral density filter to help make it so that it would be like the eye would see, then I started to understand that we need to, you know, use the tools that are available. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way now. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of digital. And again, I was never going to go digital. Oh, my gosh, digital, no way. But then digital grew and got better. And our software and our, our abilities uh, moved up. 
And I'm, I'm a big proponent of using all the tools that we have available. Um, Ansel Adams would have been right there with us. He, um, in his autobiography in 1984, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have the quote exactly, but basically he said, I wish, this was in 1984, remember, I wish I could be around in 20 years to see what people could get from my negatives via electronic means. Hmm. While they won't look like what I do, I fully believe that they would be able to get more out of my negatives than I can. Hmm. And what was the other part? Um, oh, and it won't be the... Um, technology itself, it'll be the operator of the technology that makes this happen. Hmm. Might have missed the second part. <laughs> Don't you think? Well, I mean, anymore, you could just like throw, throw a picture in and, and click a button and it'll like do the thing. Um, but I agree yeah, with the first but, half. But no, but uh, but well, what he was saying was that it's and and I don't think pushing a button is the is the be all and end all by any stretch. Um, yeah, it can, you know, like, so when somebody says, Ooh, let's make a Rembrandt painting and you push a button. I am so far against those kind of plugins. Uh, that's, that's technology gone over the edge. Sure. So you asked if I had a line, that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, kind of the technical aspect of this stuff. Uh, some of the computer equipment, cameras, uh, all this, all this kind of gearhead stuff for a moment, because as we're beginning to discuss now about editing and software, this is something I don't really have an opportunity to talk about too much because most of the conversations on the SFP podcast are about, um, they're about marketing and they're about branding and they're about specific business growth and pricing strategy and all this kind of stuff. And I love the direction that we're kind of taking this right now. And so let's stay on it for a moment. Um, okay. I, I kind of want to know, what do you think? What do you think uh, matters most uh, in terms of your photography business? And let's let's kind of break it down into four categories. So this is just for you. I know that everyone listening, uh, I want you to kind of do this in your own mind, okay? I'm gonna give you guys four categories, four options. What do you value most for your business? Um, so here we go. Uh, your computer, right? Your, your, your computer, your camera itself, the camera body, your lenses, or your lighting. Bob, if you could kind of categorize those, and maybe let's start with like, um, the most important, and then we'll go down to the least important down that category. So uh, computer, dude, lenses, you know, <laughs> there's, I don't really think there's a way to untie those. Okay. Um, they all, they all feed into each other in such a way that without, without each one of those, you, you know, you're losing a major, major core. Um, I'm, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a, a Lumix luminary. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sponsored by Panasonic, and I get to use all their gear. And I was never on the cutting edge of technology at all um, when I, you know, when I first started out. When digital, like I say, I was never going to go digital. Or when new software would come out, I would be like, "Oh, is this software actually, you know, almost? Do you have your what do you what do you call it? Your uh, your early adopters, or your your bleeding edge, your cutting edge, your early adopters, your." Uh, main pile of people that will jump on to software or cameras or whatever and then you have your boot heel well i was always the guy that was after the boot heel that oh that's technology really does work and everybody's about to abandon it okay i'm in you know <laughs> it's not uh, half off yeah it's well half off or you know whatever it is um and having you know been given this opportunity to work with panasonic and the uh, i have completely gone over to the micro four thirds system um with the lumix cameras um, and that, that started out because I went to, my wife was griefing me all the time. Why are you carrying 35 pounds of gear on vacation? You know, get us, you know, can, you know, I said, what's your problem? You're not carrying it. And she would say, well, you're not carrying it either because it's so heavy. You're leaving it in the room. Sure. And that turned into a, that was actually, you know, wives are really smart, even though we don't always want to give them credit. <laughs> uh, my, mine is absolutely brilliant, and most times I try and listen to her, but I'll fight for a while. So I tried a bunch of point-and-shoots. I even bought a, a Leica $1,000 point-and-shoot, but when I came home and started to work the images, the, the files would fall apart. They would explode. You know, the pixels just wouldn't hold up. And so I had tried three or four different ones and, you know, sold them back to other people. And um, I happened upon the Lumix GH2 on a trip before I went to France, and took that with me and 
had the camera on my shoulder the entire trip. I had my, you know, the full range of, uh, of um, focal points um, covered and was quite happy in a little tiny pouch on my waist and the camera on my shoulder. And when I got home, I was like, the files didn't fall apart. I went around running to all my friends. Oh, my God, I found your vacation camera. Yay. <laughs> um, and it was because of that that I got in there. A guy named Skip Cohen um, from WPPI, Hasselblad, and stuff like that. We're, we're, we're buddies. <laughs> yeah, you may have. Uh, so Skip was like, well, you really need to go talk to Panasonic with your excitement about their camera and your work. I was like, no, 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 no. And finally he said, look. I'm going to Panasonic to, you know, talk to you. You get you guys hooked up. And I'm, I'm quite glad he did. Fantastic. So uh, we, we're going to talk here a little bit more about the Micro Four Thirds aspect to it. It's something that I would like to know more information about, and I got some questions uh, for you. Um, but before we jump into that, I got to just take a quick pause moment here and um, give a shout out to a couple of the supporters uh, of the SFB podcast. Uh, if that's cool with you, it should only take me a couple minutes, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's a couple companies that I 100%, like 110% believe in that we use at Stones Are Creative at the studio here um, pretty much every single day uh, that we come in. And so the first one that I want to talk about is Tave 4. Um, t- just, it used to be like Tave 3, so it's Tave. Tave is like a CRM, a client relationship management software, but it's a lot more than that. It is, it is given us the ability to, um, to grow with our business as we've added on more photographers and to make sure that everything um, gets tracked. Uh, the, the leads, um, our clients, the relationships that we have, contracts, payments, order forms. It's, it's really been incredible. And, and being able to create custom automations for our studio uh, has just allowed us to continue to move, move forward seamlessly. And so um, have you heard of Tave, Bob? Um, I have, uh, but I'm a one-man band. So I, I pretty much, between my wife and I, she does the books and I, I track all my stuff kind of, you know, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Fair enough, dude. I got to tell you, I did the same thing and it, it, it has really, um, it has even streamlined some of the most basic stuff that I thought, well, I got spreadsheets for this. But man, um, for like, I think, I think it's like 25 bucks a month. It's just been awesome. So anyhow, um, I'm going to have a coupon code if people are interested in checking it out. Um, 20% off and then an extra free month uh, as well if you, if you use that link. Um, and then one more thing I got to talk about. Um, and I before I even talk about this, how important for you, Bob, is is print in your photography business? And, is, and when I say print, I mean like physical print. Um, very important for for certain segments um i do a lot of commercial photography so in my commercial work i'm usually delivering digital files for use in uh marketing and um, advertising materials websites and things like that um but for my for my uh, portrait clients absolutely uh i you know people say oh i only want digital files well i either i can either talk them up or say, suggest another photographer for them sure yeah, and and we're we're in the same boat. So you know, we're all portraits here. We're all wedding, and not a single client will leave our studio without an album in hand and a piece of wall art in their home. And so for us, you know, we've we've been to WPPI, we've been to all the the big conventions and and tried out uh, pretty much everyone. It feels like, um, and we settled in on Miller's. Miller's has has won our business <coughs> in because of their speed because of their consistency, because of the quality that they give our clients. Um, you guys, Miller's has been, um, they've just been there for us. So you should 100% check out Miller's. We've got 25% off their signature albums. You guys, if you're not doing albums for your clients, man, uh, I think I think you're robbing yourself, but you're also robbing them. And I just really want to encourage you, Just ha- again, if you've been thinking about it, I want to put that bud back in your ear to look back into providing albums to your clients, providing wallet for your clients. Um, it, it will actually change your business 100% when you start doing this. So um, you guys take a look at Miller's, take a look at Tave. Um, okay, Bob, I appreciate that, man. I, I had to give them a shout out. They've been so awesome for us. And uh, I just got to give back to the people, uh, the people that show us love. So, um, yeah, okay. So we were talking about, um, we were talking about Micro Four Thirds. Uh, you were on the GH1. And no, GH, so, GH2. GH2. Okay, my bad. Um, that, was, that was where I started. Yeah. And where are you on now? 
GH4, GX8, and uh, about to get the GX85. Um, nice. Um, now, when I when I first started, one of, one of my questions when I first was deciding whether to to work with um, Panasonic or not was, hey, hey, when I'm out speaking for you guys, when I'm you know given an education program and I happen to have used you know a Canon camera you know for this shot, what what do you want me to do? They said, well, tell them you shot it with a Canon, proper tool for the proper job, and I was like, okay, so I I can work with you guys with that kind of a thing because I I won't share ideas of stuff that I, you know, that I don't use and wholeheartedly believe. 100%. So what happened was they went to the GH3, which was a really nice improvement from the GH2. Uh, the GH4, and when the GH3 came out, I was doing probably 80% of my work with the Micro Four Thirds um, system, even at that time. And then when the GH4 came out, uh, that gave me the, um, the extra stop of density that allowed me to totally move to micro four thirds. And I've been, um, I've sold off my Canon gear, um, because I've, I'm, I'm able to do everything that I need to do with the micro four third system. You know, the, the major question I get from photographers, well, you know, it's really small camera and won't people think that you're, you know, a, a doofus, you know, just having a small, my camera is bigger than your camera. Um, I, I think I only, I think that photographers carry that in their heads themselves they they kind of almost it's almost like if you're thinking about it you're almost going to ask it's like you've sent it out to the universe and then the question sure. happens um but i think it, the question only came up to me once and that was when i was getting ready to do a shoot for the hilton uh, down in phoenix and he said wow that's you know that's a small guy he said well you hired me to use the gear and the you know create the images that you need for your thing and i'm using the latest and greatest technology that's available and that was the end of that conversation. I, ne I never had a question about it again. And I've not had any problems with quality with this with the small. Are you, are you familiar with the PPA in, uh, IPC International Photographic Competition? I am. Um, well, over the last couple of you know, people say, "Oh, well, the quality's not there." Well, over the last couple of years, I've had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine loan collection prints done from that from those cameras and you know many of the different ones so when when people say is quality the problem there is no problem there as far as i'm concerned yeah even so a couple of things even on this point as you're discussing you know size uh this has been something so we uh we have canon here we also shoot sony and sony's uh their a series you know we're on for video so this is now a video conversation but their little a7s2 even the a7s1 it's this tiny little camera that does the most incredible stuff um the dynamic range is insane and the slow-mo on 4k and you show up with it and it it's just it really is crazy how things keep getting um put into smaller and smaller packages i mean honestly bob my favorite camera is my iphone i've been considering getting a micro four thirds i've been considering getting um, you know, just a little Fuji, you know, to, to carry around X, whatever, XT10, <laughs> XTY, whatever it may be. But I just keep coming back to the reality that when I just want, and this is for casual use, by the way, when I just need a shot, when I need to get a capture of, of my little, you know, one and a half year old girl, um, the fastest thing that I have options for is, is my iPhone. And I'm always blown away with the images, the image quality that creates. And, and yeah, there's gonna be limitations, but man, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in the next couple of years, even when we're talking about um, the technology that exists on that format. Um, this is proper, actually proper no, tool question. for the pro proper tool for the proper job, which is just what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, proper tool for the proper job. I 100% agree. So then, my my next question is, um, what like what's next? So right now, I'm on Canon, right? I'm on a 5D3, and there's all this talk about the 5D4. Uh, but my dude, I'm like sitting over here shooting with my 5D3, thinking to myself, like, I don't even know what a better camera would do. Like, I don't know <laughs> what it would actually do. And I'm talking like any job. Yeah, you're saying proper camera for the proper job. I think I could do anything with this. And and you know, maybe there's some sports photography stuff, limitations and shutter speed. But I, you know, okay, there's that's fair. 
um, blowing up shots. Right. And, VR. I don't and, know. I'm, and I'm, and I'm not saying that the, you know, the Lumix line is the be all and end all because sure. a small, you know, a smaller chip does give you pause for, you know, if you underexpose an image, um, but you, you learn to work around, you know, you learn to work with the tool that you have. Sure. Adapt to the limitations. So for, yeah. So for example, if, um, I, I lean toward overexposing the image by just a skosh because most of the information that's in the digital file is up there in the higher end and where you get most of your noise is if you try and if you take an underexposed area and try and bring up the detail in those shadows that's where you're going to drag out noise so so there's ways to get around you know the the few a few small limitations that i've found along the way so then what would the what would the ideal camera let's fast forward let's say you know two, three, five years, I don't know, whatever it is, and the next Panasonic camera comes out, what, what is that ideal camera for you that would, would accomplish everything uh, that you would need it to do? Um, if we had that camera, then we wouldn't need us anymore. Sure. <laughs> and and that's, part of, that's part of what's going on, why we have so many you know, new people coming in and, and, and saying, hey, I'm a professional photographer without actually knowing what's going on, because the cameras have got very very good um i know that i can't even imagine what the you know what's coming up i think the the density range is going to increase a lot when you I say think density range are you talking about dynamic range the, i'm sorry dynamic range cool. i just wanted to make sure yeah, dynamic range of the density of the chip going from, you know, pulling detail out of the shadows and not blow, losing highlights. I, I think that that's the next big step you know, on whatever chips we're on, whatever size they are. I think that's going to be the next the next big thing. Um, that five axis image stabilization that's just come out um, on the GX85 <clears throat> and then the software that's inside the camera that's doing the processing. They've now found a way to get rid of the moray patterns. Um, so they've taken out the anti-aliasing filter, which allows you to get an even sharper image okay. and handhold in unbelievable um, conditions. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the dynamic <coughs> range, the stabilization, I think, um, my goodness, ISO performance, I don't even know what's going to go past Sony in that regard. Um, but yeah, I get, those are all things that you're right. It, it could show improvement. Can I ask you a question? Uh, mm -hmm. So there was that camera. <laughs> Isn't that what we're doing? So, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. So there's the camera, the, the light. I think it was a Lytro. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. I forget. Yeah, like, light, you were I able just saw. To change your focus point in post. Um, this is kind of getting down that route of like, you know, as technology keeps improving and things keep getting crazier and crazier. This is one of those crazy things that I'm not sure, to be honest, if it's if it's a good move. Uh, is it a good move? You won't know until you've worked with it. Yeah. Um, and we do have that capability in the uh, Lumix cameras now. <clears throat> it's not the same uh, setup as the Lytra, but what they do is they're leveraging the 4K uh, abilities of the camera whereby you can push the button one time and the camera will use every exposure point in the camera and focus there and go so it'll kind of like go on a one button push which will give you an 8 megapixel file that you can pull whatever focus point you want and you'd say well why would you use that bob and i would be like when i first heard about it i was like why would i use that um sometimes you know when we're shooting especially with a very shallow depth of field when you got like a uh, 1.2 and you're shooting very close to an eye you could pick afterwards exactly where you wanted that focus point to be you could change your mind you could stack four or five of those together to get exactly the plane of focus that you wanted after the fact and it's a pretty cool idea albeit not you know i wouldn't i wouldn't do it for you know at a wedding and say oh let me make sure i've got everything in focus in this scene um, but for doing some macro work, uh, being able to do it really quickly and then focus stacking, um, again, being able to pick that focus area after the fact is, is a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, no, it is. It, it really is. And this is, I, <clears throat> I was listening right now. Um, if I was, you know, driving, <laughs> driving to work, uh, driving home from work and listening to this, and I was a, a brand new photographer just starting out. 
I don't know. I would almost be a little nervous at like w- how fast everything keeps changing and, and the implications that that has. And so what what does this do um, for a beginner photographer, someone who's just starting in? And when I say a beginner photographer, let me be more clear. Um, let's say that a photographer who's going into their first year of business full time, what kind of implications did these technology improvements have for them? Um, and and really the industry as a whole, you know, as we keep looking at um, photographers charging less and less money and shooting on better and better equipment, what kind of implications does it have? Um, well, we've we've watched it happen almost every time from the, you know, from the beginning when a, an Instamatic with the four cube flash was uh, put out there by Kodak. And Kodak said, you can make it. It's, it's happened every time there's a... Um, a huge improvement there is another little wave that comes in and you know crashes on the shore and pulls some of the professional business away and then you find that the that uh, some of that comes back because of the lack of of skill for example i'm sure you've heard this in your wedding business where somebody said oh my god i wish i'd used you because i went cheap and ended up with uh, for want of a better word you know crap absolutely um, so, you know, I think this is going to continue to happen and I think that the best photographers and the best people utilize the technology to its fullest and take it to another level. They take their imagery to another level, the lighting to another level, the customer service to another level in order to stay in business. We have to work harder now than we did. I mean, there's no low hanging fruit anymore. The low hanging fruit is, is, uh, is gone. Yeah, it's interesting that parallel of um, the easier access that that the gear side of things has, the tech has, the harder you have to work on the service end, the harder you have to work on providing actual value and, and actual care for people. Um, there's like a, dr- a direct correlation to that, you know? Absolutely. Let's go. Um, in wrapping up, I, I want to get to an action step here. I want to give, <coughs> give our audience, I want to give our listeners something that they that they can do when they actually get home and they get back to the studio, when they go back downstairs and open up their laptop or go into the basement like I did for the first three years. Um, something something that they can do. And, and um, you know, we were talking when we first uh, opened this up, we were talking about education. We were talking about learning and, and accelerating uh, growth. Um, yeah, both, both tech both with tech, with business, with, with everything and, and how that plays out in regards to your vocabulary. And so what is something that a listener can do uh, as soon as they get home to begin to, to jumpstart um, that learning process as they're beginning to grow their business? Assign themselves a personal project, whatever it may be. Um, that's, that's probably how I've built my business over the years. I've always, I'm always trying something different and new and, um, Hey, I want to create this and I'll actually pick a client in my town and say, okay, I'm going to do this as if this client hired me to create this image of their product or their, you know, whatever it may be. And then I'll do my best to create it under the guise of this is going to help sell their product or whatever. And then I'll actually take the image to the people. And many times I have, if not sold them that image, uh, shown them a skill set. And they went, oh, didn't know you could do that or make that look like that. Can you do it with this? And then, you know, ended up with a paying client after it was over. So personal projects, you know, whether it be... I want to see what happens. I want to, you know, it's a one light portrait. How many different looks can I get from a one light portrait? What happens if that the what if is a, is a great question to ask yourself all the time. What if I move this light back here? What if I put it over here? What if I put this uh, material in between my light? What if I put it behind them? What if I put it off to the side? You know, that what if is a huge help in Doing it and then studying the results. Um, we have this capability with digital that we get to see it instantly. We get to see the settings all the time. I remember I used to carry around a little notebook back in the day, and you had to have the notebook with the thing and say, "Okay, on frame number X, I had this setting and that setting." And now that stuff is all in your uh, metadata, and you know your camera tells you exactly what lens was on there. You know, uh, the only thing it doesn't tell you is what the light was like. Yeah. 
I love what you said. I love the personal project aspect, and I love that there's a little twist on it. I don't know if you 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 meant to do it or not, but the little twist is it's like it's a personal project with this blend of hustle involved and like intentionality. You know, it's 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 actually it's going out and making something for yourself, but being smart about it and using it as a potential opportunity. Again, whether or not it happens, uh, it's okay, but using it uh, as a potential opportunity to, to spur business. Um, I love it. That's, it's been really helpful. And, and I, until I had put together this program uh, called Personal Projects, and then some, I had done it, it was a 90-minute program, and somebody at one of the associations that I speak, speak at said, hey, could you do a three-hour presentation on that same subject? And I was like, Oh, I don't think so. And I started, you know, putting more and more material in there. And by the time I got done, when I finished the class, we had talked for two hours straight without even a, you know, a little bathroom break. And usually, if you do that, at, and we're that's at nine o'clock at night. Usually, when you come back from that, everybody goes, "Okay, well, I've had enough of this," and they leave. Not a single person left for that last hour, and I was still talking about that same subject and how I had all the different projects and the the ways that they. They either got me when personal projects should get you one of five or a combination of five things. One, you know, ideally a new client. Um, two, education. You know, you learned how to do something new. Uh, three, uh, possible image for uh, competition. Four, a press release for uh, marketing in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then um, the possibility of doing some service for your community. So those five things are how I, you know, I kind of measure the success of my personal projects. Did I help the community? Did I make more money? Did I get more exposure? Um, and that, that's, that's the way I look at personal projects. Dude, that's awesome. We need to have you back on and do an entire episode on this very subject. Like, let's totally do this. Um, where, where can people find out more about um, your personal projects uh, program class if they wanted to to try to find uh to try to find out more about this sure um it's successful-photographer.com successful-photographer.com is my uh website that i uh blog and post about you know new techniques ideas uh the whole website itself of course is is designed to let you know you know what i can teach and if anybody is interested in having me speak at a at a group, if they uh, they can check with me, and possibly Panasonic will cover the thing. Um, and the the nice thing about Panasonic has always been, yes, they they cover it. I I talk for about two minutes and say, hey, in the program, here's the gear I use, here's why I use it, here's what's good about it that I like, um, and then I go on with my program. And then after, I'm happy to share and let people touch cameras and that kind of thing. That's great. So it's it's not just a commercial for you know, for, for the cameras themselves. And I, I really appreciate that about uh, the way Panasonic works as a sponsor. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Dude, Bob, this has been great. This has been fantastic. It, it, it went a few different directions that I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with and, uh, and I'm hope everyone took a, a great value from. And so thanks again. I, and I'm not kidding, man. I think it'd be really cool to have you back and to talk a little bit more about personal projects. And so uh, let's have that conversation. Um, otherwise, uh, I got to get to some editing here. I got to do some Googling here on Nix and a few of those other pieces of software that you recommended. And uh, that's my next task. All right, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bob. Hopefully you guys found this interesting. I think there's a number of ways that we can improve our photography with formal education, um, non-formal. Look, it's 2016, the freaking internet podcast. It's one of the best ways that you can improve your work and, and just maybe a vocabulary. And so you guys, uh, I think one of the big takeaways again is is this idea of personal projects with intentionality and hustle involved get out there and make stuff happen look if you want to follow more if you want to if you want to learn more um every single weekday monday through friday on our facebook page six figure photography on facebook we do live episodes for you guys um we just come at you with uh with more content um, and actually behind the scenes at Style and Story Creative, editing, critiques, all kinds of good stuff. As well, follow us on Instagram, Instagram stories at Six Figure Photo, and we will see you guys there. Bye.